You're listening to Consolidate That. Welcome back to Consolidate That Season 2. Hey, I'm Ivan Zach. Happy to see you again, Ryan. This is an exciting second season that will be geared more towards Galaxy, but some of the things will be very instrumental to anybody who is listening about it. And the guest today is not an exclusion to that. So I'm happy to introduce Corey Friedman. And we're going to be talking about the challenge of the benefits and transition from the private ownership to the corporate. Corey Friedman is a senior vice president of the benefits consulting practice at CG Financial LLC and a managing director of the veterinary division at Alera Group. Corey works to provide guidance and objective analysis of group insurance benefits to veterinary practices all over the country. In 2016, Corey was selected as a Young Gun Award recipient by Insurance Business America. Congrats. That's pretty cool. He was selected for the second year in a row as a 2019 Employee Benefit Advisor Rising Star recognized again as one of only 20 standout advisors aged 35 and younger who are taking charge of an employee benefits supply chain with a determination to reduce cost and improve client outcomes. Corey, thank you for showing up. And thank you for finding the time. Thanks for having me. My business partner, Brent, likes to remind me that there only are 20 of us under the age of 35 in the entire industry. So <laughs> not that impressive. And I was number 20 on the list, he likes to say. <laughs> Ivan's one of the top two DVM MBA CEOs in consolidation. So Right, right. There's and, only and, two and the top one that is Ukrainian. So <laughs> Yeah, Ivan is the number one Ukrainian host on this podcast. So don't worry. Exactly. Corey, really, really important topic. So as we are diving into understanding this, this is the most, I would say, contentious area of integration of the hospital into consolidation. And then when you're buying a practice, the most fear that people have is that their benefits will change into not something that benefits them. So how do you approach this from the group perspective and what are the challenges that you see how to approach it at scale for consolidators that are literally building a flying plane when they're building their organizations? Yeah, no, it's a really, really, really good question. And you're exactly right. This is a really sensitive point from an acquisition and an integration standpoint, and even more so over the last probably 18 months as, you know, the sort of competition for talent, for technicians, for, you know, veterinarians, you know, has continued to heat up in the space. Everybody is hyper aware of wanting to minimize disruption, not cause friction for employees as part of the, you know, acquisition and integration process and healthcare and benefits in general are an area where where sometimes that that can happen. So I would say that the key for anybody that's going through this process is clear communication and acquisition diligence on the front end. So one of the things that we help a lot of our clients do is compare the benefits at an acquisition target at a practice they're looking to acquire against those offered on a company-wide basis through the corporate practice group. And we look for similarities, we look for synergies, you know, we look for points where there might be some friction, like are the benefits richer at the small independent practice at the local level than they are at the corporate practice group and how are we gonna manage that? And if you are proactive in your approach, oftentimes you can find a solution either working with the local practice and their you know, broker or their insurance company to keep that plan in place for a period of time, if it makes sense to do so, if the corporate structure allows for it, 
working through contribution strategies, whatever the case might be. But I do think that there is this sort of belief in the market that bigger is better. And anybody that's been out there, you know, acquiring animal hospitals for some time has run into a situation where that's not always the case, where sometimes the small business they're looking to acquire does have a richer benefit plan or a lower price point, And we have to contend with that. So peeling back the curtain a bit, sort of in the Galaxy Vets world, we had a meeting recently with one of our first practices that we're acquiring and talked with the employees and the staff and, and everybody. And the benefits question is hot on everyone's mind, right? They they don't want it to be worse. They want it to be better, if not the same, at, at least. And then what point in the acquisition are you feeling like that's something that your team and, and any team could really sort of get into that information? Is it something that you're doing in the due diligence phase? Is it something as you get really close to the asset purchase agreement? Or is it even something that you can review during the discovery process and, you know, during business development? Yeah, Ryan, I think it varies. And it's, you know, it's very situational. And I think sometimes it depends on like how sensitive, you know, is the acquisition and what's the relationship between the purchasing organization and the selling vet. But typically, just generally speaking, we're getting involved right after LOI is signed. So, you know, those conversations have been had, it seems to be a fit there. LOI is signed, and now we're starting to get information turned over to us where we can start to evaluate, are they offering benefits? If they are offering benefits, what do those plans look like? What are the employer contributions? What are the employees being asked to pay? And how does that compare to what a Galaxy Vets, right, or another large, you know, corporate practice group is offering. And then at that point, we're typically turning that information back over to, you know, the business development team who then delivers that sort of overview to the acquisition target. But there are times where we're getting involved and we're getting on the phone and we're talking through that with them and helping, you know, to explain the corporate, you know, benefits and why things might be better if they're different, why they're different and what that means. And then of course, as part of the integration process, we're typically also getting involved in the employee's open enrollment. So they're coming onto the corporate team's benefits. Someone needs to sort of explain to the employees what those benefits are and, and how they work. And we're getting as involved as our clients want us to be. And that varies from group to group. So with the strategy of the consolidator, I've seen most consolidators that we've talked to in the VIS days, years, was the approach was in the first sort of 10, 20 practices, oh, everybody's just going to keep what they have, or are we going to provide better? That's always a promise. And then all of a sudden you get to 20, 30 practices and you're like, oh, that's not scalable. So we need to come up with a better approach. And then the pendulum swings towards, well, this is what you get. So what's in your experience? Is there a silver bullet where you can kind of capture all they have and above? Or the sort of, is there a way to do it sort of an a la carte and for the practice, but still maintain being scalable? So you can actually repeat the process of fitting it with the organizational needs with those practices that they acquire. Yeah. It's a really good question, Ivan. And there really is no one size fits all approach. It very much depends on you know, the organization and what they want to do from a benefit standpoint and what promises they made when they were acquiring practices. But yes, you're right. If you're making special arrangements with every practice that you're acquiring and you're allowing each practice to maintain the benefits that they had at the local level, at some point that becomes really hard to scale. Right? You're managing different benefits, different renewal dates, different carriers, maybe even different brokers. And so at some point, we do encourage everyone to try and 
bring you know everyone together under one benefits plan as best as they can. But we have yet to find one where it's you know a hundred percent everyone is rolled up, mandated, right? It's you know that's what happens from day one. Only because it is very nuanced. And so, for example, you could have a group that has a plan with United Healthcare, let's just say. And United Healthcare has great coverage nationally, and everybody's under the United Healthcare umbrella. They're offering multiple benefit plans for everybody to choose from. Everyone's happy. And then they acquire a practice in California where all the employees are insured with Kaiser. And now, right, the question becomes do we force all of those employees into our United Healthcare plan knowing that they'll have to find new doctors right? because Kaiser, you know, insures their own facilities, clinics, you know, and providers, or do we maintain that Kaiser plan? And then once that door is open, right, and you sort of establish that precedent, then that becomes a discussion point for all future acquisitions, right? What happens when we run into the next Kaiser group or the next group that doesn't like our benefits as much as they like what they have? What I would say is that practices can look for low-hanging fruit, right? There are opportunities to either consolidate or bring things under the corporate umbrella that make it more scalable, even if you have to maintain some flexibility on the health plan side. So we can almost always consolidate non-medical benefits. So dental, vision, life, disability, all those sort of ancillary programs, those things are easy to consolidate, you know, with little to no disruption. Having one broker, one advisor, right, that's, you know, responsible for overseeing everything can be helpful too. So we have situations where, We've got clients that have company-wide health insurance plan, and then they have, you know, some sort of what we'll call like external plans that are managed at the local level. But what they've done is they've transitioned those plans to our control. So at least they have one team responsible for overseeing all of it, keeping an eye on the costs, you know, managing the renewals, the employee communications and enrollment process and all of that. So there are definitely ways to take those sort of incremental steps. But I do think that it's, you know, it's difficult at times for someone to say, you know, make the blanket statement, like we offer this, this is all we're going to offer, take it or leave it. So Ryan asked a good question about when to start analysis. And I understand that as soon as you can and when the LOI, so you can actually be more or less certain that you're going ahead with the acquisition. But the question maybe, and I don't know if you have an answer to this, but when would you recommend announcing it? Because the can of worms that you open in the clinic when you say we're being acquired or we found a great home for us or whichever way they paint that lipstick on that pig, <laughs> then when you really tell the staff and say, okay, so we're transitioning because that's the first question that they ask immediately. That's what we did with our you know, first practice with Ryan. And then that was the most asked question. So when do you think from your angle it is good timing in the time of the deal to actually announce that. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think transparency is a good thing and, you know, letting people know what's happening as soon as feasible and not keeping it, you know, a, a secret from the team members, from the practice staff. You don't want to share the information too prematurely either to where you're not sure if the deal's going to go through. So I think you've got to have some degree of certainty that that transaction is going to close, that the transition is going to happen. But then the sooner you can get ahead of it and let employees know, the better. And I will say, we have yet to find a situation where there aren't things, and I can only speak to this from a benefit standpoint, but where there aren't things that are better for the staff than what they had when that practice was independent. That doesn't mean that everything is better all the time, but there are always things we can find that we can highlight that are going to be a win for the team members in that practice. And so there's no reason to hide from it. You know, I think we should get out there and, and share that information with them. And what I mean by that is we run into a situation all the time where 
a practice might have, you know, a health insurance plan where the selling owner was paying 100% of the employee's premiums. Well, that's not something, right, that, you know, a lot of the uh, corporates are able to do, right? That's not scalable at, at size. It's easy to do when you've got, you know, five or six employees. But when you've got five or 6,000, right, paying 100% of the cost of healthcare was not doable. But those employees maybe only had a health insurance plan available to them. And now by joining the corporate program, they're going to have dental and vision, life, disability, a better maybe maternity leave policy or paternity leave policy, you know, whatever it is, a student loan contribution or repayment program. There are always things, you know, that we, we can identify that are going to sort of enhance the employee experience. And so I think the sooner you can have that conversation with them and let them know what's happening, the better. And also, if the corporate group is going to make some arrangement to either keep that plan in place or help sort of ease the transition with whether it's a, you know, bonus, additional contribution, something. Again, there's no reason to hide from that. All right, Corey. Now, take me a year into the future with Galaxy Vets, and we have in the teens of practices, maybe in the 20s of practices, what time should we be looking to reevaluate what we're offering and who our provider is? And, you know, you talked really well about offering it to groups and, and reevaluating it, but when should we reevaluate what we're already offering? And then a year from now, when should we reevaluate that when we're at 50, 100 practices? So let me ask you this, in this scenario, have you already consolidated your benefits or have you allowed the you know, practices you've acquired to maintain whatever they had at the local level? I would imagine that we'll see, depending on where those clients are acquired, that you'll have some that are using a, a corporate benefit and there'll probably be a few that were too obscure to tackle that we're still trying to put together the right fit for them. We can walk down that path and play out sort of both scenarios. So. Let's say scenario one is you've just been focused on acquisitions and growth, right? And you haven't yet sort of taken a step back and looked at your benefits from 30,000 feet and tried to figure out, is there a way to consolidate? Can we get more efficient? Can we find a way to sort of bend the cost curve back in our favor, enhance benefits, whatever the case might be? So you've got your teens, right, or or 20s of, of practices, and all of them have their own benefit plans. At that point, right, I think it's critical to start to look at, can we consolidate? Even if we can't consolidate across the board and bring all of our clinics under one, you know, health plan or benefit program, to start to take those incremental steps sooner than later is key because eventually what will happen is you will get so big, right, where like it becomes very hard to sort of move that mountain, right? It's much easier to bring 10 clinics together under one benefit program than it is to bring 100. And we've done both. And I, as an advisor, I would much rather try to bring 10 clinics together, right? Than go down that path of trying to bring 80 to 100 together again. But the process is ultimately the same, right? What's key is that you go out there, you get quotes, and that someone is able to sort of show you, you know, plan by plan or location by location, if they were to consolidate, how is that going to impact the employees at that practice? How does the sort of proposed consolidated offering compare to what they had at the local level? Okay. And so that I think the sooner that that can get done, the better. And I do think more often than not, everyone's going to be better off 
going down that path and leaving things status quo. But there are other considerations that have to be worked through. Does everybody have the same payroll provider? And is everybody on the same you know, payroll platform? Does everybody have the same access to you know, technology from like an enrollment or admin standpoint? Do you have a strong manager at that practice that can effectively communicate with employees and you know, make sure that things are happening when they need to be? Is there some sort of weird you know, nuance, you know, geographically that might prevent them from being a fit for whatever we're trying to do on a consolidated benefit basis. So there's lots of variables to consider, but I think the sooner you can consolidate, the better. If we're sort of walking down the path of we've just acquired a bunch of practices, now what do we do? And then the question becomes like once we've consolidated, whether it's all of our, you know, practices or We've consolidated most of them. We have like a corporate plan, but we've allowed some practices to maintain, you know, their independence. How do we then sort of optimize? Like when's the right time to reevaluate that, right? And I would say at a minimum annually, right? So like that should be happening regardless because the market is fluid and things are always changing. Your employees' needs change. You know, different carriers are, are more competitive in some years than in others. But I look at this as growing and outgrowing market segments. So if we were to consolidate, let's just say, and you had five clinics and you had 40 employees, you're going to be in the small group market segment a year later when you've got 10, 15, 20 clinics, and now you've got 70 employees, you may have jumped market segments, right? So the insurance industry typically, and this is, I'll speak, you know, with broad strokes here, but typically two employees to 50 employees is one market segment. That's sort of the small group, like ACA, age-rated marketplace that a lot of the smaller practices that you'll be acquiring find themselves in. Then you've got that sort of 51 to 99, call it mid-market segment. So 51 to 99 employees. And then you've got your large group segment, so 100 plus. And I think every time that you sort of jump market segments, it's worth reevaluating because the underwriting methodology changes, right? So, so how rates are calculated, the pricing strategy is different by market segment. And so too are the opportunities to the organization. But if you know that your growth is going to be pretty explosive, right, we're looking at sort of a, a hockey stick curve, it may not make sense to, you know, to requote it when you're going from 40 employees to 60 employees, knowing that in three or four months, you might now also surpass like that mid-market. It might be better to wait and sort of jump right into that large group segment. And so that's where, again, having you know an advisor that has sort of done this before and, and kind of help you understand like when's the right time to pivot. And then also translate to an insurance company, like who you are, where are you going and what the opportunity for them is too is, is really important. So I'm, I'm going to ask a weird question potentially, but as you were speaking about this and the whole point of like people being nervous and when do you switch to a common plan from the benefit provider point of view, is there a way, and this is, again, this is a wild idea, but we have this period of stabilization that we call most consolidators, as soon as they acquire the practice, they go into this mode of immediate integration and integration in our mind is as minimal as possible a lot of people have this 100 day plan 180 day plan as soon as we acquire we go boom 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 and then people throw the towel and leave <laughs> that's what i've seen so our strategy is to do as minimal as possible invasion is it possible and this is about sort of three to six months period to actually assess the practice from the metrics perspective and to prove that the thesis that we expected prior to acquisition and the synergies that we were expecting are the same as the synergies after we acquired hospital because 
there's rarely you find anything positively surprising after you buy a house. It's usually negatively surprising. So the question is, is it possible when you buy the practice, you would just say, we are only buying you now and then you're joining us. And for six months, we're not going to change your benefits. We want to research it more, understand your needs. Is it a possible thing to do? And then after that, at six months, you have your you know, overall company strategy. But just to have that live with that team for some time and say, look, we don't want to change anything. And then for six months, we will maintain it. Is it actually possible from the benefits perspective and stuff like that? Yeah. So let's call it like an incubation period, right? I think the short answer is yes. But it also depends sometimes on who the insurance company is that the practice that's being acquired was working with and what they will allow. And then also what the organization's you know, corporate structure allows. So for example, and I'll get out a little bit over my skis here. So I'm not an attorney, right? I, you know, I can't give a, a legal opinion on corporate structure and what constitutes you know, a control group. But the point I'm making is most of the time, what's required for a practice to have their own benefit plan is that they have their own EIN, right? And so sometimes what happens is when you know a corporate entity acquires a practice and they dissolve right that old EIN and those employees are now rolled into whether it's the you know overall corporate you know EIN or sometimes you know there's different EINs established by state for example that becomes harder to allow that practice to maintain their independence and so that's one of the sort of key decision points and then depending upon what the answer is, so will they have their own EIN or will they not, right? There's sort of this decision tree that we can follow. And that's one of the first questions that I think needs to get answered is, will they have it? Will they maintain separate payroll or can at least the payroll be carved out? And can we identify that like these employees work in this location? Then it's a question of having a conversation with the insurance company and letting them know, hey, here's what's going on, right? So there's a new owner coming on board and this new owner would like to maintain the existing benefit plan for a period of time, whether that's until that plan's next renewal, whether it's, you know, for a predetermined amount of time, six months, a year, whatever it is, right? I think it's at that point, it's just about having that conversation. Sometimes it's, right, it's difficult, again, if that, you know, EIN is dissolved and that one entity won't have their own EIN going forward. And sometimes it's as simple as saying to an insurance company, this is no different than if the associate vet bought the practice, right? And they're just maintaining the practice and that practice of staff and they want to maintain the benefits as well. We're just changing the ownership on paper. It varies. So the short answer is yes, it's doable. And almost always there's a little bit of a period in that, you know, most groups have a waiting period. So it's typically not immediate that you acquire somebody and they come on to your benefits. You're typically going to have, you know, 30 or 60 days for transition anyways. So it's just about trying to determine whether or not, you know, you can sort of extend that runway and buy more time for you to get to know them, them to get to know you, figure out, you know, and especially if you're at the earlier stages of the corporate entity as well, and you're still trying to figure out what do your benefits look like. If this is, you know, one of the first few acquisitions, it can become difficult and having that time can be helpful. It makes sense. Well, we blew through 25 minutes and that's the promise, listeners. I'm not fluent on the benefits topic. What would be your recommendation to get to know more about it, whether you have in your company resources, whether it's a book that you can recommend, video to watch, anything that is easily consumed to get up to speed a little bit? Yeah, I think definitely attending, you know, some of the webinars or things that, you know, my team at Alera hosts, we're constantly putting out information, 
if it's general and what our practice is doing of you know various sizes, but I'll layer it too. So beyond just our team that's working with animal hospitals and practice groups, Alera as a large national insurance brokerage and benefits consulting firm puts out a lot of great content, a lot of webinars, a lot of resources. So there's a lot of information there. And then I think if anybody's you know just really interested in some of the ways that you know healthcare purchasing and benefits are changing catalyst for payment reform has a lot of really good resources leave their website is catalyze.org you know i just think we're at a at a time where there's just a lot of stuff changing health plan purchasing and, and benefits wise just in our country um, and a lot of employers are trying you know new and innovative ways to approach healthcare purchasing and catalyst for payment reform is at the forefront of a lot of that so there's some good information there we do a benefits benchmarking study annually for the veterinary community on what benefits are offered. So that's a good resource as well. And Corey, what is the website for Alara so that people can jump on there and check you guys out? Yep. So Alara Vet, uh, dot com will get you to our landing page for all things veterinary. And then for anything just broader Alara related is Alara, A-L-E-R-A group, G-R-O-U-P.com. That's awesome. This was... Very, very helpful. I'm, I'm glad that we could do it. I, I learned a lot and there's a lot of things that I know our people and culture team will definitely take from this conversation too. So thank you so much for finding the time to chat with us today, Corey. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com. 